Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today is the first of our marathon milestone episodes, so the beginning of your training journey. So today we're going to give an overview of typical running distances at this stage of your training, and we're also going to talk about why eating for training is important, even at this early stage. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here as always with Karen. Um, So we're wondering how many of you are just about to embark on training for the London Marathon on the 2nd of October. I know it seems a long way away, but actually it's going to come around really quickly. So is it your first marathon or maybe you're a seasoned um, vet at marathon distance? Um, But have you ever considered how the food you eat could be impacting on your running performance throughout your training? So what we thought we'd do is over the next 16 weeks, um, we're going to support you and we're going to be hosting five episodes to get you marathon ready. And also, if you're listening to this and not running the London Marathon, you might know somebody else who is. So please share the link to our podcast because we'd really like to spread the nutrition word. So whether this is your first marathon or your 10th, we're going to journey through your training with you and we're going to give you advice at various different stages regarding food and nutrition intake so that you're fit and fueled appropriately on race day. So today's the first of our marathon milestone episode so this is really the beginning of the nutrition journey and the aim of this episode is to give an overview of typical running distances at this stage and in the coming weeks. Also give you some background to why eating for training is important even at this early stage in your training. And then finally, give you some tips on how to put the theory into practice. So Karen, let's get started. Now I know that you're a seasoned marathon runner. So how many have you completed so far? Crikey, I think it's maybe about 18. Um, So I suppose over time, considering my age, it's not that many, but um, but I didn't start running till I was um, in my 40s to my defence for only having run 18 of them. But uh, but yeah, I think it's roughly that amount. Yeah, well, that's quite an accomplishment. So I wouldn't play it down. I think there's lots of people that would be really impressed with that, as I certainly am. Um, so, but from your experience, Karen, and from you know what you've you've read and learned over the years, uh, what can you tell us about? Um, running and training runs for for a marathon? Well, I have to say, Aileen, that there are lots of different training plans out there that that people can access for free online. Um, So I think really regarding a training plan it's about choosing the one that best suits you and your ability and also your time available to train because some some training plans will be training three days a week others will be training four days a week so it really is very individual and um, clearly you can also find plans for first time marathon running as well as experienced running or you could get your own uh, running coach you know there are lots of different ways of doing this now 
interestingly, what I found from having a look at different plans um, is that lots of plans these days appear to train an individual up to only 16 miles as their longest run that they complete. And um, Aileen, you and I observed this actually when we were researching for um, our recent episode, that episode 93, Fueling Marathon Running, and we were both really surprised at it. So um, um, what what would you say is your view on this approach to marathon training? Well, like you said, I think we were both uh, shocked really when we saw these different plans because I just feel that it isn't really long enough, especially if you're a first time marathon runner. Uh, maybe it would work if you're an experienced runner, um, but another 10 miles is a long way and uh, a long time to keep running if you've never run that distance before. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that, Aileen. And, and if we remember that 80% of running is thought to be psychological and only the 20% physical. So another 10 miles really could lead to potentially many giving up mentally, um, even though their bodies potentially could achieve that distance. Just thinking, oh, my God, I've still got 10 miles to go, but might be enough for people to 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 lose momentum. And speaking from my own experience, I know that um, it's easier for me psychologically to deal with another four to five miles um, than what I've achieved in training. But 10. No, I don't think I could. I could do that. I generally want to get to about 21 or 22 miles in training and And then I feel happy psychologically that I will make it to the end, that I'll get through the last few miles. But um, but it is also important that when achieving 21 to 22 miles, that it is actually being done um, comfortably. Because, again, if it's not being being done comfortably, uh, psychologically, that can put you in a negative place rather than a positive place going into the marathon. So. yeah, I think that's really that's really a good point to make that, you know, that um, whatever level you get to, you, you do do it comfortably in the training situation. Mm. Uh, mm. But do you, do you know where that idea of the 16 mile came from? You know, what what's the theory behind it and who, who came up with the idea? Yeah, well, I couldn't find any research papers on the subject. However, I did read an article online about it, and it appears that this 60-mile longest run concept comes from what is known as the Hansen's Marathon Method, where there was one runner followed the method and got great results. Now, the theory is linked to the potential detrimental physical effects and from running really long distances, for example, that increased risk of injury, poor recovery, etc. Now, Hansen's method suggests um, looking, looking at improving aerobic threshold capacity instead of, of just looking at the distance by teaching the body to use fat as fuel and building overall tolerance for running on tired legs. Um, and and the, the idea is that you build this tolerance for running on tired legs through um, fatigue accumulation from different types of running rather mm. than one type of running, but over a really long distance. Yeah, so it's not just that you do one 16-mile run. You've no. got to do lots of different types of running to help condition you. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, yeah. so it's, yeah, it is a really interesting approach. And I, I sort of understand the thinking because I think, you know, if you do a lot of conditioning, um, that's going to put you in a stronger position. But as you say, it doesn't really appear to take into account the psychological factor. But I yeah, guess maybe exactly. people that have been trained in that way, they have to do something to help them with that, even if they're not mentioning it. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would imagine that that's absolutely right, Aileen. And what I'm not sure about is actually how many runners follow this method. Um, and I would be really interested to know if anyone listening here follows that Hansen's marathon method. And if so, what has your experience been? Has it been really positive? You know, if you if you have used it, then do please get in contact with us and let us know. And you can email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com because we would be really interested. But also, I think we have to remember, as I said in the beginning, that running is that 80% psychological 
And because of that, I know I definitely couldn't follow this method. How about you, Aileen? Do you think you could? Uh, no, I, I think that <laughs> it sounds a bit challenging to me because I, mm. I really think that your mindset and having mindset tips and tricks to help you while you're running the long, longer distances can really help you get through those difficult parts of a, of a race or difficult parts of your training even. Um, and that is something that we're going to be talking about in episode 100, which is called Marathon Running Hitting the Wall. And that's coming soon. So um, I think that would add value to this conversation by listening in on that episode. And I really think that, you know, if you are prepared mentally for any kind of setback during a race, so whether it's a minor or a major setback, and you can pull on some personal strategies that will help you cope with whatever that setback is, then you might be able to recover, you know, shortly afterwards and ultimately get to the finish line. So I do think that um, training and putting the miles in is key, um, as well as having these mindsets um, you know, tricks and tips. Um, but it's also important not to overtrain. And I think maybe that's where this Hansen method is coming from as well. You know, mm. if, you, if you're going to just put miles and miles in week after week after week, then maybe you won't be in an optimal position uh, for your race. Uh, and as I said, I think it depends on um, what sort of level of training you're doing and also how many marathons you plan to do in a season. Because you know, some people, it, the pinnacle of the year is doing one, uh, but for other people, they're, they're doing multiple races. And, um, you know, if that's the case, um, maybe the 16-mile approach is enough in between uh, races. So that's something to think about too, I think, especially, you know, these people that, you know, you hear people doing charity events, don't they, where they're doing several back-to-back marathons over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've established that there are different theories around how the long how long the longest run should be in marathon training. Um, so let's um, pull it back to the here and now, and, and talking about the London Marathon as our milestone marker throughout the series of episodes. Um, can we talk about how a regular training might plan might look, Karen? Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. So if we were to think about the novice runner, um, um, as we said, it's going to be roughly 16 weeks and it is roughly 16, I think maybe slightly over 16 weeks until the London Marathon. And most training plans that you find on online begin 16 weeks ahead. You can get different ones. You'll get the odd one that maybe goes up to 20 weeks, another one that's just a 12-week plan, but most of them tend to be 16 weeks ahead. So with this in mind, training would probably consist of a total of three to four runs per week at the moment. And for complete beginners, these runs might consist of running and walking, so a combination um, for several weeks before they then you're into sort of running all the time. Now, for this series of episodes, we are assuming that people are training for their so people that are training for the first marathon are people who are currently able to run for at least 10 miles. So run walking might not be appropriate for you. However, do bear in mind that lots of training plans include this in the first few weeks of training anyway. Um, but you might not need to do the walking, but you can just keep running. So each run will be of varying distances with the longest run being no more than 60 minutes at this point in time and the shortest run being as little as 20 minutes. Um, So Aileen, is there anything you would add to this regarding training in the first few weeks? Yeah, sure. And and, I mean, what it's maybe not helpful to say this at this moment in time, but whenever I'm thinking about training, I like to add in a month because you never know what could go wrong, you know. So Mm. really, I think, you know, you should be training for probably 20 weeks rather than 16 and then you've got an opportunity to have a buffer zone if you need it you know it can be having a cold or a little injury or something like that so that's a good point but uh, that's probably you know if we're only 16 17 weeks away it's not really helpful to say that at this stage Mm -hmm. however that gives us even more reason I think to be thinking about 
um, looking at our health and well-being holistically so that, you know, we don't fall foul of any of these little niggly things that can take us off our training plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and often a lot of runners just think about running and neglect other aspects of fitness for their running. And that, you know, as we know, there are lots of activities that can support performance and recovery. Uh, you know, so things like uh, regular Pilates and yoga sessions, doing strength and resistance training and stretching is very neglected. Um, So I I think that would be, you know, those things are really good to think about. Um, So, you know, I, I'm really conscious of this because I've, I've been the person that's had the niggly injury and it's taken me away from my training. And then you start feeling anxious about, are you going to be able to do things? So, and now, I, you know, I really focus on a foundation of Pilates and it's something that I do regularly. I'm very fortunate. I've got a Pilates studio nearby and I'm a member. And so I, I have maybe three or four sessions a week there. But what I've really noticed is that when I do Pilates one day and that, or even on the same day and then do a run, I find my posture is so much better when I'm running and I just run. My form is better, especially my upper body form. Um, So I think it really does support my running as well as my general well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I think strength exercise is important because that's going to help us build lean muscle. And remember, running can be catabolic, so that can break down muscle. So it's really important to add some strength training into your uh, weekly exercise plan. And then, as I said, stretching. Um, so, you know, I get quite a lot of stretching just through my Pilates sessions. Um, but I think it's important to think about, you know, warming up and cooling down after training. Um, and I think that's something that's often neglected, uh, especially as we get older, we sometimes forget to do it. And and I think if you're an experienced runner, you just get into the habit of going out the door without actually mm-hmm. doing the things that you might have done as a beginner runner. And the reason, the reason for doing it is it, it helps prevent injury, um, it helps prevent stiffness, and it can promote speedy recovery from training. Um, and also, but remember, before training, make sure the stretching is dynamic, um, so includes a little movement. So I always think of it as being the sort of funny walk type movement. You know, it might be. I mean, I, I'm doing them in the house. I'm sort of doing them up and down the hallway. And, you know, some people will do them outdoors before they start on a run. Um so it, it's all about, you know, stretching the muscles while, you, while you're moving, so kicking your legs out or mobilizing your hips. Um, sometimes I just do some lunges. Um, so that, that means that the muscles are going to be warm and they're going to have a little bit more movement in them before you actually hit the road. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, after running, it could be more static stretching at that point because the muscles are already warm. Um, it's just about making sure that they, that like you say, Aileen, that it is dynamic before you go out on a run because they're colder, so therefore they're stiffer. But I have to say, you know, you're saying that something that stretching is something that is neglected and it's something that definitely I've ignored over the years. And I think I'm maybe paying the price now through this chronic glute issue that I've got that I I often speak to you about alien but what I have done is recently I've begun to complete four sun salutations in the morning and evening um, alongside including some additional running specific stretches and again this is really new to me and um And I'm hoping that if I remain consistent, you know, we speak about being consistent with our nutrition and it's the same with with stretching and our training as well. I suppose it's about being consistent. And if maybe I can maintain that consistency um, with the stretches alongside my strength training and my yoga for runners that I do on a Monday night, it might help to kind of lessen this glute stiffness. I'm really hoping so anyway, plus my nutrition as well. and actually, speaking about that um, yoga for runners, I find it really, really helpful. And it's restorative yoga, um, which I think when you're a runner and um, you're running 
sort of four or five times a week, sometimes long distances and things. Um, I think it's a really good way of um, just focusing on the opposite of the constriction of running. It's very really relaxing. Um, and it, it pinpoints key muscles. So if anybody is interested in that, it is on it is um, online. So um, drop us a line and we can give you the details of that. I could tell you a bit more about it. And Aileen, I know you've done it as well. Um, otherwise, you could contact um, Emma. It's called M Yoga, but and you could contact Emma direct via her website which is um myoga.co.uk um yeah so like i say it, it is online so it doesn't really matter where in the world you are you can you can join and um like i say it's restorative so it's relaxing but really specific to um to running issues yeah i can um, vouch for that I, I joined in online when karen and i were away in spain um I was feeling particularly my legs were very stiff before I did that session and it really helped me. So, mm. and you know, I know we, we're saying about doing Pilates and yoga a lot, but even if you just could do one session a week, it's going to help. Mm. And as, as Karen said, you know, there might be some little exercises that you could just fit in every day, whether it's, you know, a downward dog or something like that, which would just help stretch your legs out. Mm-hmm. So thanks, thanks for that, Karen. I think it's uh, good to just um, remember the importance of, um correcting it's almost like undoing the tightness that you've mm. built up in your legs by doing it when you when you come home um so we've established that training at the moment should be fairly light but regular and um, the longest run will likely to be no more than 60 minutes uh for most people based on a regular training plan that you might find online so so now let's move on Karen and think about food and nutrition at this point in everybody's training. Um, so it's widely recognized that what a runner eats is just as important as their training plan for optimal performance. And, uh, you, you know, everybody will know that we we always end our episodes by saying, um, you know, nutrition can be a limiting factor in running performance if it's not suboptimal and it's, it's not running focused. So we need to just sort of highlight here, what does a runner need to think about? So, I think the overarching strategy would include uh, having a foundation of uh, everyday healthy eating and focusing on that everyday healthy diet plan consistently. So, you know, day in and day out, week in and week out for the next 16, 17 weeks leading up to the London Marathon, that's really going to be so important to you. Um, And then the second part of that strategy would be choosing foods that help fuel your running. rather than choosing foods you can you you choose to eat because you think you can and because you think you've earned it um so it's really focusing on how you're going to fuel your running uh, that's mm. going to be the important thing yeah absolutely and i think that many people fall into the trap of eating poor quality foods because they think they can and um, because they are more physically active now the issue with this way of thinking and eating is that it could lead to poor running performance and poor re- recovery and increase the risk of injury and and potentially have um, a, um lead to sort of poor body composition and especially if body composition is important for you then just be mindful of that okay so let's um, delve a bit deeper into that everyday healthy eating and as many of you well, no, we we do believe this is, like Aileen said, the foundations um, and the foundations of performance nutrition, as well as everyday healthy nutrition, is the foundation of performance nutrition in which to build the more targeted and specific nutrition alongside nutrient timing as well. That's really important to achieve that optimal running performance for the marathon distance. Now, Aileen, I was just wondering, could you maybe elaborate a bit more on our foundational everyday healthy nutrition approach to running performance um, for our new listeners, but also as a reminder for our regular listeners, because it's always good to, to, to sort of be reminded of key points. Yeah, sure. And I I think, you know, this is the perfect time to really focus on that foundational everyday nutrition before you you get into the really heavy training. So it's a really great opportunity. And we have discussed this in in several episodes, but I'd just like to point out a couple that 
if you are new to us, you might want to listen to. So episode 11 is nutrition basics for, for all runners. And episode 42 is the why of sports nutrition. And those two episodes are really going to help you um, understand everyday healthy nutrition. And, and we, we, we call it everyday healthy nutrition, but it's actually uh, nutrition for easy training too. So I think that's another uh, thing just to um, hook into you doing it for easy training. Um, so there are three aspects of an everyday healthy diet that, that we think are really important. So those three things are the quality of the food you eat, having plate balance, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail, and also the timing of meals and snacks. So it's uh, what you eat, uh, what goes on your plate and when you eat it, really. Um, and if we start with thinking about the quality of foods that you choose to eat, um, what we really encourage people to do is to minimize the amount of processed foods that you eat. So um, try to eat less junk food and fast foods and the highly processed foods, which are sort of typically uh, things that are ready meals or um, prepared foods. Um, so the the good tip really is to read the label. And, and if you have a look at the label and it reads like a scientific list, then it's probably not real food. Um, so potentially these are the, the foods that you might sort of fall into the trap of thinking, I deserve a treat because I've earned it. Um, so check the labels, um, the fewer ingredients. If you can, if you can recognize the ingredients as being food and there's not any extra additives, that's probably um, a really good place to start. Um, now, I think there is a distinction that we can make between processed foods and prepared foods because you can buy um, healthy, good quality, prepared and assembled fresh foods, um, which I think is a really healthy choice. And often it's a really good time saver. Um, so, you know, all of the major supermarkets and food groups will prepare uh, food in this way. Um, so it's it's been prepared in a kitchen environment rather than a factory. Um, and it's a good place to start when you're moving towards a more healthy diet, um, because it can help you maintain your diet consistently, particularly if you if you're not um, a great cook or you haven't got the time to cook and you just want to buy something that's in a tray that all you have to do is pop it in the oven, but it's full of fresh ingredients. Um, and the reason that we're saying uh, this is fresh foods are always best because they're likely to not have any additives and preservatives uh, in them. Um, but also remember, frozen foods can be great if it's real food. Um, so not the processed frozen products, um, but often you can get um, really good quality fruit and vegetables that are frozen um, and they're great and really useful to have um, in your freezer ready to use. Um, to Karen, is there anything that you'd add to the list about quality food? Yes, actually, in thinking about the, the quality of the food, I think trying to buy uh, seasonal foods or food in season would be really helpful. And that can be cheaper, quite often much tastier as well, and save on food miles. So you're helping the environment at the same time. And within that, buying local and reg regional food. So again, that keeps the price down. Often they're tastier. And, and again, you're, you're supporting the environment by saving on the miles that they have to travel. Where possible, I would suggest if you can buy organic. So for example, um, certain fruits and vegetables, thinking about if you eat meat, having grass fed meat, uh, freshwater fish, uh, maybe try to avoid uh, farmed fish. And the same with eggs, you know, choosing the free range, choosing the organic forms of eggs, just to add to that quality of the foods that, um, that you're eating. And also knowing your provenance, knowing where the food was grown, where was it caught and raised and um, knowing how the food was produced and knowing how it was transported as well. And like I was saying, how far it's been transported. So I think all of this means that you, you're really going to be assured that your food is of the best um, quality that you can possibly um, get. So, so moving on from that, Aileen, you spoke about plate balance as well. Um, can you maybe remind everyone what we mean by plate balance? 
Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, just before we do that, one of the things that the reason that we're talking about having really good quality food is because that means it's going to be nutrient dense and you're going to get the best possible result from your food. So that's that's the underlying reason there um, for choosing good quality food. So thinking about plate balance now, the, the reason that we, we talk about plate balance is, is to help you get the right balance of uh, macronutrients Um in your in your food plan and so the macronutrients are protein carbohydrate and fat and then the other part of the balance plate is making sure that you get a balance of vegetables and salads at each meal time and all of these um, contribute to um, everyday healthy eating as well as um, you know helping you have a foundation for fueling for your running so when we're thinking about um the plate balance, we're thinking of protein being a, roughly a quarter of plate, uh, having a quarter of plate of low GL carbohydrates. So they're the slow release carbohydrates and they're often described as complex carbohydrates. So they're not refined. They're the whole food type carbohydrates like brown rice and uh, root vegetables, that type of thing. Um, and then the other half of the plate is um, where you would have um, half a plate of non-root vegetables and a small accompaniment of uh, healthy fats. So, you know, we're thinking leafy greens um, and um, salad type vegetables. And then a small accompaniment of healthy fats might be part of your protein food. So if it, if you've chosen oily fish, for instance, you're getting protein and healthy fats there. Um, but if, if you'd had a lean chicken breast and you were looking for some extra healthy fats it might be some olive oil or it could be a small amount of avocado or something like that so the proportions on the plate are really there to help you manage portion sizes and also to support blood sugar balance so we suggest that you know a, a mealtime plate should be about a nine to ten inch plate for me, for main meals um Another way of thinking about portion size is to think about what would a quarter of a plate of protein look like. Um, so that would equate to the size of your palm. Um, and the carbohydrate might be a similar sort of size to clenching your fist. And remember that everyone is a different size. So we've got big people and small people. Um, so my hand size is smaller than a big man, but it's bigger than a small child. So that gives you an idea of you know, we've all got to adjust our portion sizes to our physicality, I suppose you would mm. describe it. Um, and then the other thing that um, I find really helpful when it comes to measuring portions, particularly when it comes to thinking about carbohydrates, is I'll use uh, American cup measures. So, um, you know, if you're a cook, you'll have probably heard about these American cup measures because you use them a lot in baking and those kind of recipes. Uh, but you can buy them in supermarkets. And I find them really helpful for measuring out my carbohydrates. So I'll portion out uh, the cooked carbohydrates like cooked rice and potatoes and things like that. And then I know that I'm getting the right portion size. I think that's a really good tip, both the, the cut measures and sort of using your hand as the measure, because clearly the, the taller or the bigger you are, the, the, the bigger your hand's going to be. So it's going to be appropriate to you as an individual. So, um, and Eileen, you mentioned there um, regarding portion size and how it's really good for supporting blood sugar balance and, um, you know, balancing our blood sugar levels could also support our running performance through um, increased energy production to, to, to keep us running, um, but also supporting that appropriate body composition, but also supporting the immune system um, and the reduction of inflammation, therefore reducing the risk of any injury and illness um, linked to our training. So lots of reasons for, for including um, plate balance in our everyday healthy uh, meal plan. So, okay, let's move on and take a quick look at the importance of timing of meals and snacks. Now, this really feeds into the blood sugar management. So, if we eat regularly and at set timed intervals, we are supporting that blood sugar balance, therefore reducing the risk of the poor energy production and weight gain, et cetera, that we mentioned. Yeah, I think, you know, the timing of meals and snacks is is 
almost as important as everything else that we do. Um, you know, and, and sometimes I find that I get clients come to me when they ha- actually have no routine to their eating at all. So they might be missing meals and they could be going for long periods of not eating. Maybe they graze all day. Um, so they never actually have a proper meal. They're just sort of like nibbling through the day. Um, what I'll do with those kind of people is uh, suggest that uh, they have start spacing out their three meals regularly. So I try to get them to have them maybe four to five hours apart. And if they have a grazing habit that um, they're finding it difficult to um, to adjust, um, then what we'll do is we'll add in a small protein-based snack in between meals. And, and by doing that, it's, um, it just helps them get used to eating regularly and it really balances out the energy levels and it, it stops them having Uh, cravings and also um, energy dips and slumps Um, and often what I'm trying to do is really get everybody to uh, get to the point where they can um, manage on three good meals a day without snacks Um, but if a snack um, it can be useful to use snacks strategically Karen and I are always talking about snacking strategically particularly when it comes to your run training but since we're just thinking about your lifestyle for today, you know, for every day, healthy eating. What you might find is, depending on what your work lifestyle is or your family lifestyle, sometimes you can't always have your meal when you want to have it. So, you know, you might be traveling, you might have a delayed meeting at work or a long commute home um, and your meal gets delayed. And in those cases, it can be really useful to add in a sort of a protein-based nutrient-dense snack and that will sort of keep your blood sugar balanced um, until the next meal time. Um, so ultimately, we're aiming for, um, you know, four to five hours between meals with no snacking. Um, and also, it's a really uh, helpful and supportive thing is to uh, minimize uh, your eating between dinner and breakfast. So um, I often suggest having at least 12 hours between dinner and breakfast And that helps your uh, digestion, really. It helps everything sort of rest and repair in those 12 hours um, between uh, dinner and breakfast. So that's a sort of a a standard suggestion uh, for everybody. And we have to remember this is foundational and it will be amended uh, to suit training requirements and we'll be sort of coaching you through that over the next few weeks. Um, But the aim, you know, of this part of your training is to get all of these nutrition fundamentals in place consistently, as I said earlier. Um, So doing that over the next few weeks uh, will be really, really supportive. And then what we'll do is look at food and nutrition specific to the training and the number of miles that you'd be completing um, as you progress through uh, your marathon training plan. Yeah, absolutely, Alien. It, it, it is, like you say, it's about getting these foundational everyday t- nutrition factors to become a habit, really. And then we can begin to build in the running specific nutrition. So, so we've spoken about the importance of having a foundational everyday healthy diet in place consistently. And this at this point in your training plan, it's a good time to concentrate on this aspect of your nutrition so that when you move into the much longer and harder runs as the marathon date draws nearer, the food choices that you make around your training will support performance rather than hinder it. That's really what we're looking for by putting these foundations in place. So in a minute what we're going to do is move on to look at how you could put some of this information into practice but first let's take a quick advert break so Aileen I'm going to hand back to you again. Okay thanks Karen. Uh, So this is the moment in the episode where we take a minute to explain to you and share with you what Karen and I do outside of the podcast. So today we've been talking about nutritional foundations for marathon running and for many runners finding the time And knowing how to apply the principles is what gets in the way of eating consistently. Um, And so what we'd like to do today is just to introduce you to our um, Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program. And that's something that we have developed um, through our own experience of working with um, lots of runners and also 
through our own um, running experience too. Um, we've developed a foundational everyday eating plan and we fine-tuned it with sports nutrition principles. And that really is there to help maximise running performance and to minimise injury. Um, so the, the programme is a fairly short and sweet video programme. You can complete it in 30 minutes a day um, over two weeks or you can take as long as you, you need to. Some of our clients uh, dip in and out of it and uh, do it in different orders to help them with whatever they might be having nutrition challenges with. So if you've been listening today and you've been thinking you'd like to know a bit more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition, we think this program is a really great place to, to start because it gives you information as well as easy action steps too. And if you're interested in the program, you can find out all the details at our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Look at the top menu bar, um, work with us, and then you'll um, you'll see a drop down that takes you to um, Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. And you can read all about the program there. If you'd like to join us, uh, we do have a, a thank you um, coupon code for you as one of our valued listeners. And the coupon code is POD, P-O-D, and that will get you a 33% discount off the full price, which brings it down to £199. And um, you'll find details of that code in our show notes too. So if you forget uh, forget to make a note of it now, you can find it in the show notes. And um, the other benefit of joining the Health Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners is every Thursday we run two coaching um, circle calls uh, one at lunchtime, one in the evening. Um, so, you know, if you've got any specific questions about your marathon training, you can pop into our Zoom room and uh, we'll we'll help you there. So um, we'd love to see some of you in in the programme. Great. Thanks, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and look at some tips that might help you put these nutritional principles into action, really so that you can run your best autumn marathon ever. So um, earlier, Aileen was talking about plate balance, so that quarter of plate of protein, quarter of plate of carbs, and half a plate of vegetables. But which foods do you choose to support your everyday health, but, but also while still supporting your running? So thinking about each of those um, macronutrients, thinking about um, complex carbohydrates. So there really we're thinking about the whole grains, such as the brown rice, the um, different grains, oats, legumes as well. So the beans, the pulses, the lentils, chickpeas, all of these foods are going to be the the, the whole grains to think about. But also root vegetables um, are, are a good carbohydrate um, alternative to grains um, when looking for a more, some of them are fair, uh, can be used uh, strategically um, before training, but for everyday healthy carbohydrate sources, then root vegetables, I think, uh, are a good idea. So things like um, potato, sweet potato, pumpkin, squash, carrots, beetroot. Um, there are others, but those are the, the key ones. Um, also fruits low in sugar, like berries, orchard fruits. So the apples and the pears are, are good sources of complex carbohydrates. And then when thinking about protein, so we spoke about the quality of, of the proteins, but uh, um, sort of food ideas include um, fish, poultry and the quality of red meats and just having red meat maybe in, in limited amounts because it can be inflammatory. Um, looking at eggs because they are a complete protein as the same as the, the poultry and the fish and the meat. But also again, um, thinking about the legumes. So with your legumes, you're getting both protein and carbohydrates. Slightly more carbohydrates than protein, but still good sources of proteins, especially if you're vegetarian or vegan. So again, the peas, the beans, the lentils, the pulses, all of these of all the different colours are going to be really important for um, quality protein. And again, with grains, I think we, a lot of people tend to forget that there is some protein in grains as well. Again, it's predominantly carbohydrates, but there are some that um, that have got a decent amount of protein in there as well. So, for example, brown rice is one um, that has a has a decent amount of um, of of um, 
protein in there. And also nuts and seeds, you will find some and dairy clearly is going to give you some protein as well. And then thinking about the, the vegetables and including half a plate of vegetables, you're really looking at that rainbow of colour of um, of non-root vegetables. So we spoke about the root vegetables as a carbohydrate source um, and the the veg the non-root vegetables being that half plate of um of colourful vegetables. Now just remember it is about the quality and choosing the best quality that you can um, when making your choices. So, Eileen, thinking of of these healthy food choices that that we would recommend, what tips would you have for everyone to to really to help them implement the change and and be able to stick to it? Yeah, well, I think you know if if you are in a position where you're really having to make a big change, um, I think it's a good idea to sort of think about what you've got in stock. And uh, I I would personally start with having a bit of a clear out of your fridge and your freezer and the kitchen cupboards, uh, check uh, what's in date, what's out of date and check what foods are going to really support you on your nutrition uh, plan and, um, you know, get rid of the others if you can or move them to places in the kitchen or the freezer where you can't see them and um you know, it, I always think what's in front of you is you're more likely to choose. Um, so think about all the different foods we've recommended and decide on the ones that you like and um, shop for them. So, you know, you've got them available. And um, also think about, you know, depending on, um, you know, how much time you've got, is it is it appropriate to consider buying some ready-made uh, pre-cooked foods to keep it simple and convenient? So, I'm thinking of things like pre-cooked grains and lentils and pre-packaged fresh vegetables and salad because those kind of things can save you time and then they're always there available for you. Uh, And if you have some healthy um, pre-prepped food, when you're hungry, it's there ready to use. Uh, And I think that encourages you to make the right choices rather than make unhealthy choices because you're so ravenous that you'll just eat whatever's in front of you. so you were talking earlier, Karen, about the um, eating a rainbow of vegetables. So um, one of the things you could do is, um, and this is maybe something you could include the whole family in, is have a vegetable challenge week and aim to eat 30 different vegetables in a week. And that could work out at four different vegetables a day. So when you break it down, it doesn't sound that much. And it's fairly easy to introduce. So, you know, for instance, you could have a salad that had tomato, rocket, cucumber and radishes and have that alongside your lunch. So that could be like your half a plate of colourful vegetables at lunchtime and just do something different every day. And, that, you know, I've had clients do that before where, the, you know, they've had a piece of paper on the kitchen worktop. And they've just written everything down. And when they've involved the children and the family, um, it get, can get a bit competitive, but it can be a really good thing. And by doing that, you know, you know that you've got your your rainbow of vegetables, and uh, if you if you notice there's a colour missing, you can add that to your um, shopping list for the next week. So that would be a, an easy way of making sure that you're getting the variety that you you're looking for. So, are there any other tips that you would add, Karen? Yeah, well, thinking about um, training alongside that, you know, I would say populate your calendar with your training runs to, to really to help ensure that you do them. Um, and at the same time that you do that, pre-plan your meals, linking them to when you're training and keeping in mind meal timing and ensuring that you eat at, at regular intervals. So really combining, starting to combine the two, starting to think about your your training, but also your the foods that you're eating around your training as well. Now, I would I would recommend that you maybe allow yourself one what what people would class maybe as a as a treat food per week, because I do find that if we deprive ourselves completely, it can potentially lead to cravings and rebound binge eating. Now, what I would suggest really is to preserve that treat food um, for the day that you complete your long run. Um, but also at the same time, just be mindful of portion control that um, that we spoke about earlier. 
And also remember, um, there is, is it really a need to increase your energy intake at this point in time? It really is about ensuring that your food choices are healthy and balanced. It's going to be more in the, in the future as your, as your long distances ramp up that, um, the increasing portion size is going to be important. Um, due to, so clearly there's going to be some increase in, in physical activity generally, you might find that on occasion you do require a snack between meals. You know, Aileen, you were speaking about the ideal is to have sort of um, foundational everyday nutrition is about three meals a day without a need to snack but there will be occasions maybe when you're doing that run that's an hour long and then it's followed the next day by a shorter run but still it's more activity than you're used to then it might be that you require a snack between meals Um, but what I would say here is only consume this if you feel hungry don't don't necessarily have it just because you've done the hours run. And remember that um, feelings of hunger could actually mean that you're thirsty. So drink first. So have some water first and then reassess. Is it actually physical hunger or was it that you were dehydrated or just a bit thirsty and the drink has been enough? And what I would say is if a snack is required, then do ensure it's going to to support your health and your running training. Keep that in mind. And choices that I would consider that you include are flapjack, um, a home one, homemade one, ideally. And um, if you're on the mailing list, you'll you'll have those um, recipe. I think we've we've released one or two um, flapjack type recipes. Um, if you're not on our mailing list, then um, you can join the mailing list through uh, the website, and then you'll you'll get these weekly Tuesday recipes, and you can build up a portfolio. Um, another one um, healthy snack I would consider would be apple slices um, with nut butter. That's one that I really enjoy. Joy, and then um, another one could be oat cakes with cottage cheese. So these are just ideas. Clearly, there are others, um, but but that's just a few ideas for you here. Okay, great, Karen. And I'm just thinking that you know all of the the things that we've been talking about, like um, shopping lists and menu plans and things like that, are all available as part of the Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program. So. Um, you know, if you join the program, you get all those resources there. Um, but th- there are a couple of other things that I just wanted to mention today uh, regarding training and food intake uh, that is really worth mentioning here. So this might be at uh, this time of your training plan might be a good time to introduce fasted state running to support fuel efficiency as you progress through your training. So maybe uh, beginning with your shorter runs, um, you know, particularly uh, good if you're a morning runner. So having um, to to do your morning run before you have breakfast, before you eat anything, um, although, you you know, we'd advise you to have some water. Um, so that would um, uh, then you would have your breakfast after you run and that running in that way would be in a fasted state. So there's no need to eat uh, during running any type of running when you're doing these short runs. Um, but always aim to have a healthy snack after your long run. Um, so the kind of things that we would suggest would be the the quick release carbohydrates. So things like mango slices, banana, um, maybe a couple of medjool dates. Um, and even, you know, after the shorter runs, you, you might, there's really no need to um, refuel immediately. Um, so, you know, if you're only out for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, um, then, you know, the, the only reason that you would refuel is if you haven't had a meal before you went out. Um, so just continue to follow those everyday uh, healthy nutrition principles. So we've covered a lot, Karen, in this uh, opening um, marathon series. And, but I think that sort of brings us to the end. Uh, but I was wondering um, if you could maybe just... Uh, give us some advice about what would be the one action that you would suggest that everybody could go away and put into place after today's episode? 
Yeah, actually, I think maybe, Aileen, an action that um, would be worthwhile taking the time to do, and it's one that you mentioned earlier, is is just clearing out the cupboards, clearing out the fridge and the freezer, really just to ensure that only the foods that will serve you well regarding your overall health, but also your, your running, are the ones that are available to you. And it doesn't necessarily mean throwing them out, like you said, Aileen, it's about putting them to the back of the freezer to the back of the fridge at the moment and and just sort of um having the having the appropriate foods readily available so that would be my my advice regarding an action point yeah i think that's a great action point and it might not be well received if you're sharing your fridge and freezer with members of the family if, mm. if they're non-runners um but i think it, it would really serve you well to to think about you know what you require nutritionally uh, and maybe rather than doing it as a big job if you know if you haven't got time you could maybe you know do it over a few days so maybe do the fridge one day freezer another day cupboards another day um, or perhaps if you've got a bit of time um, on your days off you, you could do it all then I, I tend to when I do it I just like have a blitz and it's actually not that difficult and I always feel better when I've done it Um, but anyway uh, Karen um, I think we're about to round up so could I ask you to give us your key takeaways from today's episode please yeah sure so I think there are many different marathon training plans available online like we've discussed so I think it's really about being discerning and choosing the one that best suits your running abilities and the time that you've got available to train don't forget to introduce other activities that might also support your running performance including the likes of pilates strength training and stretching remember that your nutrition for training is as important as the training plan itself self so I think that's a key point and a foundational everyday healthy eating plan is the bedrock on which to build nutrition specific for running performance so that's why we've emphasized this today so that you can get that set in stone before we move on to look at um, nutrition specific for your performance there's no need really to increase your overall energy intake at this point in your training just ensure that the food choices you make are healthy and ones that will support your overall health and running you might find that you need maybe an extra snack um, on occasion between meals, but just remember to make the the snack a healthy choice. Um, but that might be all that you need at the moment. And really, that's all that I have to say, Aileen, on that as well. Oh, that's, that's a good roundup there, Karen. <laughs> okay, so just to, uh, to finish on, um, we've... Uh, as we said, we've got a series of these episodes. Um, so the next one uh, will be released in approximately four weeks time, at which point your everyday health nutrition practices will be embedded. Um, so the 12 weeks remaining until race day and your overall mileage will have increased significantly uh, with probably the longest run being between 90 and 120 minutes long. Um, so our next milestone episode will include a discussion about Fasted state running a little bit more, um, talking about that, practicing eating during and immediately after a long run, and also introducing hydration and why it's important. Um, so watch out for the next episode that's going to be released on the 30th of June. Um, so just as a final reminder um, to everyone, um, we do have a, a free download available uh, for you from our website, and it's called Free um top running uh, snacks and nutrient timing uh and it's an ebook and it's there to support your training so it would be a perfect companion to these um episodes so if you haven't already got it go to our website runnershealthup.com and ch- uh, click on the the free nutrition guides uh scroll down to that uh, ebook and uh, pop in your email address and we'll get it sent over to you And uh, just one final word. Remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. 
And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.